My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. Today in the Wonder Dome, I'm jamming with Ray Martin, who also bills himself as the Daily Explorer, someone who, through a combination of disposition and circumstance, pretty disruptive circumstance for someone with a lot of privilege, uh, found himself with all of the ties that he had to his life, his identity as an incredibly successful business leader and entrepreneur, broken, cut. And he wrote a book called Life Without a Tie, a book that invites, as a result of his circumstances, forced him into the question, what happens if you have to let go of the ties to, to life as you know it, your career, your partner, your home, your family, your friends, or even just one of those? How would you, how would you direct yourself through your life without the usual comforts, predictable, predictable conditions, and familiar routines? So this book, Life Without a Tie, serves as the the bedrock for our conversation. But I have to tell you, like Ray is a storyteller, uh, a born storyteller, at least in my experience in this conversation. There were several, several times where I was moved to the edge of tears just hearing about the incredible, we might call them coincidences or synergies or synchronicities or kind of uh, unbelievable opportunities that emerged as as Ray navigated through depression and faced up to the losses he had incurred and made some choices to move ahead and embrace the part of him that was ready to explore something new. Along the way, he, um, he became a, a, a Buddhist practitioner. He started a foundation called Calling All Angels. He runs, he's become a marathon runner to raise money for causes he believes in, which is, have included an orphanage in Nepal and an elephant sanctuary in Thailand. And, you know, he just brings this wonderful joy to these questions of who we could become as people. So if you're in a place in your life where you feel like you're going through a breakdown one that many parts of you wish weren't happening and that's and you're struggling with that, his book and this conversation might serve you. And if you're also in a moment in your life where maybe a part of you is longing for a breakdown, longing for something to change and waiting for something to come along and make that possible, uh, this, this conversation might also inspire you to perhaps take ownership over that and see where it gets you. So why don't we get settled in? and hear what Ray has for us. Hey, Ray, welcome. 
Thank you. It's nice to see you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation very much. Me too. Me too. Uh, you've written this uh, really remarkable book called Life Without a Tie. And I have to say, before I, our, our friend Robert connected us, who's just, who's also been a guest on the Wonder Dome a couple of times, absolutely amazing, effervescent, enthusiastic human. And he sent this email and, you know, he said, Hey, you really got to talk to Ray. And I got to tell you, I was a little resistant because of the title life without a time. I'm, I'm like in the midst of a life with so many freaking ties as a, as yes. a father of three kids and, you know, in a relationship, in a home, home, you know, owning a home and sort of all this stuff so yeah. much. Uh, and there are parts of me that like, like, you know, the, the, the family stuff is like so deeply meaningful, but all the kind of material stuff, there are parts of me that's just like, get rid of it all. What, you know, and then here's this guy writing a book called life without a tie. Is he going to tell me how I'm wasting my life? You know, like this sort of really like feeling a bit like uh, on edge around that. And I was like, oh, all right. Uh, I trust Robert. So I'll take a closer look. And I did. And you sent some of the book and you, sh we talked and you shared some of my story. And I just, it totally cracked open the resistance in me to realize that you have yeah. been on uh, a real incredible, also a bit of an unasked for journey of transformation that has led you to, to maybe, uh, uh, this is my language here, tie yourself to deeper sources of meaning and purpose, even as you sort of show up in a, your life in a new way. So um, yeah, for anyone else who's like me, who hears this title, Life Without a Tie, and is maybe expecting someone to come along and tell them all the ways in which they need to like relax and loosen up and simplify and, you know, Marie Kondo their life and get rid of all their junk. Like that's not the energy that you're bringing, although that can be very beautiful energy for people who need it. Yes. And so I just wanted to share that with you as a kind of part of my journey towards this conversation. And I'm, I'm curious how that's all landing with you. Yeah. You're not the first person to say something similar because I remember I, I spoke to someone I coached recently and said, did you read my book by the way? And they said, Oh no, I was too scared to read it. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, because I told my husband I was thinking of reading it and they thought if I read the book, I'd sort of leave them and go off on a long journey. Yeah. Yeah. I said, no. I said, don't worry. You definitely won't do that if you read the book. It's not going to happen. I, said, I, I should have perhaps maybe thought a bit more about the, the impact of the title Life Without a Tie because really what it means in terms of my story was I just had the chance to take a period of time where I had no ties and explore what living in those conditions was like mm. and now i've returned to a life in which i fully intend to have some ties yeah yeah um, i just had the grace and the good fortune to have a period of time where i could explore in that because i didn't have children when i got divorced and i i was in a situation where i was financially able to do it and things like that yeah and so i thought i just wanted to report back to the camp with what i found <laughs> yeah. and discovered and and say, well, how can you use the wisdom that I discovered in your everyday life? You know, yeah. how can you be freer in the way you think? I think that's my main message, because for me, a lot of what's changed is the way I think. Mm. Not, and that's led to some changes in the physical world, but the deepest changes in how I think. And that's, yeah. I think that's available to anyone in any life. Mm. So, I really, I love that. Like, hey, I'm going to report back to camp with, with yeah. what I've gotten out in my scouting, you know, forays. Yeah. And and I just really want to, we'll, we'll get to some of how your thinking evolved and, and hopefully get to some of the beautiful stories that yeah. you tell in the book. 
but I maybe just really want to underline here because this is so important. The, the, the message you're sending is not like blow it all up. The no. message you're sending is to the extent you're able to connect more deeply to what is, what life actually is yeah. and what really matters in life. Yeah. You will have, you'll actually be more deeply tied to what really matters. And this is at least how yes. I'm making sense of, of it. Yeah. Like that that, there, that yeah. the opportunity for a moment to sort of sever or have ties be severed that you think yeah. are essential to who you are opens up permission to look. And you actually don't need to have the breakdown to have the breakthrough. That you no, can you just take the wisdom on board right now, wherever you are. And that's the invitation I hear you asking or in it sending. Is. That's exactly it, because some of us, not all of us, some of us are tied to the things that are actually going to undermine us and not yes. serve us. Yes, yes. And I, and I know some people who are in very sexy careers and they love their work and they've got great family and home and they're absolutely living a life that they want to live and they're fully in alignment with themselves. So it's not the form. It's not the structure of the life. It's not the physicality of it. Yeah. It's my 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 biggest lesson has been how do you find your own path with your own mixture of ingredients in the structure of life that matches and maps onto the values and deepest held beliefs that you hold about how life should be because mm. mm. if you if you can create your life to mirror that then you're going to be really happy no matter what mm. happens mm. It's beautiful so that's a wonderful place for us to start maybe you yeah. could set the stage a bit more for those who haven't read the book yet or maybe are yeah. curious like something happened a couple of big things happened to you that yeah that created this possibility for you to to sort of cut some of those ties or or let them be cut tell us a bit yeah. more about that yeah i will but i must say as well first of all that i never the journey i went on i never intended to write a book it was never my aim i i was a broken person when i left on that journey because i'd set my life plan out according to the wisdom of my parents and teachers and people who grew up around who said ray when you grow into an adult you'll be happy if you've got a good job a house a mortgage kids car blah 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 you know you'll be really happy so i thought i just trusted that and i believed that and i followed that path and did the things i needed to do and i found myself in the age of 40 ish running my own business a company i founded being a ceo and being successful at it and even winning an award from the Daily Telegraph in England in recognition of how good I was at that. But, you know, on the inside, I really wasn't very happy. Mm. And so that just started a whole process of discomfort and questioning. And I sort of felt I'd somehow fallen into someone else's life, but I was living it for them somehow. Doing okay uh. and you know, wearing the clothes. This, this was a this was a feeling you were having yeah. while you were wearing like the yeah. CEO and getting the awards and stuff for a long time because I, my business partner was the woman I was married to, Charlotte, I mean, and uh, she used to be so worried sometimes when I sort of expressed these feelings of concern and doubt I had because it it meant potentially that everything could just fall apart, you know, and she used to be quite worried when I voiced this. I even had a name for this character. I called him Fulham Man because I lived in this uh, part of London called Fulham and it was all yuppie and shibidoo-wah and, you know, kind of well-to-do, well-heeled and all of the young achievers and ambitious people were there. And, and I kept saying, oh, I think I'm turning into Fulham Man. I've never thought of myself like that. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and so 
I, I never knew how to resolve that gap that was opened up inside me. It was like a chasm that was getting wider and wider. Mm. And I used mm. to just console myself that I should be grateful for the life I had, that I should be grateful for the great income and the success and the wife and everything. I shouldn't, I should sort of somehow stop thinking all that. Mm. Mm-hmm. But mm. I never really cracked it or resolved it. And it went on for a long time. And then one day my wife came home from a, a meeting and said, I'm leaving you and I'm leaving the company. <laughs> it was really as sudden as that. It was sudden, you know, really abrupt, sudden, shocking. I I sort of thought it was a joke at first, but it wasn't. And um, I look back on that now, and I think, God, that was that was the moment. My that was the turning point. That moment. It it got slightly worse because um, the end of her being married to me and not being in the company really didn't feel like I could see a way forward in terms of develop, evolving the business because we were so creative. We were, we were a brilliant creative partnership. Mm, mm. And a bit like, um, I don't know if I can come up with a modern day reference, a bit like Ben and Jerry's or something, or <laughs> two ice skaters that dance together. They're not married, mm, but they, they're just, mm, you, you can't mm. imagine if one of them goes, replacing them with someone else. You mm. know, it's kind of like that. So mm. I just mm. couldn't see that. And at the mm. same time that this happened, re- literally simultaneously, my father got very ill and he, died shortly afterwards he didn't even know that we'd sort of separated Mm. and uh so in the three or four months i was out of my marriage out of the business as it was out of my home my dad had passed away i was just broken i was in on the floor horrid it was horrible time yeah and um and i didn't know what to do i was truly and utterly lost in a way this is the point sometimes i talk to clients who i coach and say well that's you know, if you can get if you can get to the bottom, then you know it's pretty good on there. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> but I did obviously I was coaching myself a bit, but not doing it very well. Yeah. And uh, friends of mine said to me, "You know, I think you need to get some new perspective on life at this point because you can't see anything. You're in this bleak, dark place, and you, you know, why don't you, why don't you go either go and help someone, serve someone else for a while, or just take a sabbatical for six months or something." Mm. Just, just to just to get away from the life that you've known, to get some fresh perspective, and then come back with a new pair of eyes and new insight. And I thought that's probably a great piece of advice. I, I'll do that. And so I, I, I was um, considering that when I then an extraordinary event happened. I'll come back to it later. I got invited to be in a play in Australia, completely out of the blue, unexpectedly. That's a separate story, but that then gave me the courage to take a six-month sabbatical. So I minimalized my life. The I decided, invitation to the play yeah, gave you the courage. Yeah. Having mm. done that, which wow. was a one-off event, I'll come back to that and why, because it was a massively significant experience that. It gave me the courage to say, okay, I don't, I don't want to stay in the life that I'm in unless I've fully consciously reviewed it and understand why I'm doing it and what's in it. And I want time to reflect and really consider and I don't want to do it in my normal environment. So I'm going to take a six-month sabbatical and I'm going to go backpacking around Asia. Because I'd never been to Asia. I'd never been a backpacker. I'd never even had a gap year. I just worked from the age of 16 in business until this current moment I was in. And you were, again, this is like 40-something, 40, 40, Yeah, 43, 40. 44. Yeah, wow. And so I decided to take a six-month sabbatical and go backpacking around Asia. And it just so happened I'd, I'd met a girl in London around that time who said, I'm going to Thailand. You can come with me if you want. I said, yeah, great. That would be brilliant. She's in the book, Annie. It's one of the stories. 
And there was a whole story around that because that hard that was not going to happen until a, another thing coincidence and it did happen. It's, there's a whole story around that. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll, I'll pause here for yeah. a second. Like, there's some there's some things moving that I think are worth underlining. Yeah. Um, and this can be scary for people, but for me personally, this is maybe a bit of my bias about how to be in life. And it's way easier to say than to live. Like I'm aware of a part of me that's terrified even as I name this, but life happens. It does. Regardless of what we, our greatest plans and stratagems and visions, life is happening. It is wildly complex. And the sudden breakdown you experienced, which by the way, like your partner getting all a little bit squirmy when you express your discomfort well, at the same time, like clearly some part of her was uncomfortable because yeah. by wait, yeah. what you're getting upset. <laughs> what? And then yeah. your father passes and the what, like all of this stuff, just like boom, boom, boom. Life yeah, happens. And, and exactly. the, the sort of part of the, one of my personal, I don't know what the word is, problems or worries or concerns about our modern culture is that it just never we're never invited to look at that as something that could be ours yeah we could maybe watch a movie or read a book but then it's always back into like all right keep going keep producing keep working from age 16 to 44 because that's what you should do and just don't don't stop because if you stop and look you might see how tenuous this all is how fragile this all really is yeah yeah and overlook the what i feel is the sort of the arrogance of our society and i include myself in it because i've got the same gene that does it which is like you know human beings think they can control everything their environment and it's a bit like so what's really true is if if you're imagining a, a water flowing in a set of rapids what's true is you're the guy in the kayak steering and trying to not destroyed by the obstacles etc that's who we really are we're we're just in the flow trying to do our best yeah but we actually think we're the guys at the very top of the mountain who can sort of turn the tap of the waterfall on (laughs) and decide what times (laughs) of the day it's going to flow and whether how much water's coming down and stuff like this that's who we think we are but actually we're the guys in the kayak i love that and really there's a way in which we're (laughs) really we're like we're the we're the guy inside the head of the guy in the kayak thinking that like Oh, these ideas I have about how I'm controlling all of this are reality. We're not even in touch with the whole body, the whole, like that is like keeping us afloat. Like we're, we're riding this, this, this beautiful, but powerful flow. And some of us, because of privilege and positionality and competency and relationships might have a more sort of uh, easy, seemingly easy place in the flow, but underneath all that the current is just it's it's the current and there's no human force yes. that can stand in the way of that current ultimately yeah exactly mm. so i'm aware as i'm talking and as i'm thinking that you know there is a duality to our thinking it's conditioned you know and the buddhists talk about it. it's either this or that so anything i'm going to say in the next hour i don't want anyone who's listening to go oh he means this is the way to live yeah and not that the old way because Actually, my life is now a combination of some wisdom and good practice from my old way of living, blended with some wisdom and good practice from the new discoveries I made. It's a mixture of both. I, I haven't thrown one out completely. Beautiful. Because there are, there are times when it works to set a hard goal and drive and push for it. Yeah. And yeah, not I, go, I, see, I see that 
that rock up ahead in the water and I'm yeah. going to steer around it. Or I see yeah. that, that beach to land on for a bit and I'm going to steer right towards it. Yeah. Like we have yeah. agency and yeah, definitely. And, and we can't make the water go away. Yeah. So those are not, there are certain things in life where it doesn't work to just sit back and hope, just let life flow. But then there are times when it definitely does. And I've given a few examples of that in the book. So, yeah. uh, and I can say more about that, but this girl, Annie, um, invited me to go and i thought yeah that'll be great i knew we had the potential for being in a loving relationship too but we hardly knew each other yeah and well that, I just, that uh, yeah. sorry to interrupt one more time but i just want to connect to that was the second thing and i want to hear about annie and i want to hear about australia because yeah. there's something because the flow is so potent it can feel like the end of life as we know it is the end of life yeah I, I was in that place when my when my ex-wife had left my father had had his funeral i saw the tatters of what was left of the business you know and, my, and me and the office and everything and i was in that i was at the end of my life i was thinking god i don't think i'm ever going to be happy ever again mm. i'm, I'm mm. broken I'm just broken mm. Mm. i couldn't see you know i was a coach you know? <laughs> i couldn't see any one thing i could be excited about and, and the, uh, be the beauty is that somehow life said here's a thing to be excited about yeah there and, was and, one thing and I, like i have to wonder if someone had invited uh fullman man to be in yeah. a play in australia fullman man probably would have said no to that but fullman man was gone he didn't yeah. have there's nothing to say it was like play in australia suddenly a new place in the flow emerges that otherwise even if it had been coming, we, we you might not have been ready for it. Yeah, exactly. And I and also I didn't know that. I didn't know about that. What 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 I did was in that place of being broken, somebody I really trust said to me, Ray, I think you should definitely find someone you can go into service to for a month or so or a while and just take your attention off yourself. Just completely mm. put it to mm. one side and go and serve yeah. somebody. Because mm. if you do that, I've just got this feeling that something will emerge that you're not expecting or something something in your thinking is going to shift. And the best thing to do is that. And I thought, yeah, I trust that. I trust that person. That sounds like good advice. Mm. And not luckily, I, hate, I use the word probably inappropriately, but a really good friend of mine I discovered had breast cancer in Australia. And so I reached out to her. I knew her well, you know, because she used to live in England and that. I said, really, if it's okay with you, I'd like to come over to Australia and be in service to you for a month and take care of you because you had a young son, a, a husband worked full time. Mm. She said, that would be great, Ray. That would be so lovely. Yeah, I could really mm. use that help. Mm. So, so I arranged to spend three or four weeks in Sydney. And I had another friend of mine living in Cairns, which is a few hundred miles north of Sydney. And I said i'm going to be in australia so such a long way from england i said you know, i'd like to visit you while i'm there because i won't be coming back for a while yeah and uh she said great and when i arrived up in cairns my friend julie she said um well me and my mum are going to see this play at the theater tonight or tomorrow night do you want to come with us i said sure yeah. so i got so i was just being sociable i got to the play halfway through i'm looking at the program with the actors reading their profiles and my attention i notice is being pulled to this box on the corner of the page and it says auditions for the next play are here on sunday and it's a play about an english member of parliament called richard willies called out of order so i knew the play because it's a british play and it's a farce a comedy 
And uh, I said to my friends, purely for a joke, I said, look, I'm English. They should ask me to be in that. I've got the right accent. <laughs> I've got no acting training or anything like that, but I've got the right accent. But my friend stopped me. She said, well, Ray, I actually know the director of the play. Why don't you go to the audition? I, I think you'd enjoy it. I said, you're kidding. That's ridiculous. I said, it's going to be real actors who are really good and they're all going to get the part. I mean, there's, no, there's no way I'm doing that. She said, well, don't try and be in the play. Just go for fun. You know, just enjoy it. I thought, actually, that's a quite a good idea. I'll do that. It would be a fun thing to do. So I went along to the audition and I just threw myself in like it was, it was a normal or nothing thing. And at the end of the evening, I had this sense that I'd done actually quite a good job. And the <laughs> director was said to me, Ray, could you stick around for a few minutes? I'd like to have a chat with you. And I said, okay. And he said, so what's your situation then? You, I know you don't, you're not Australian, but are you living here? You know, I said, yeah, I live here. I've moved here for a while. <laughs> I didn't say I was going back to England in three days because I thought it would just rule me out. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm around. I'm staying here. And, and he said, and you could handle three months of rehearsals and stuff like this. I said, yeah, I could do that. He said, because, yeah, I think, I think you'd be quite good in this. I said, when are you going to decide? He said, about a week's time. <laughs> I, said, uh, I knew I was going to be back in England by then. I said, okay, well, just ring me on my local number. Here it is. It was Julie's number. And just let me know if you want me to be in the play. And I told Julie, I said, I think they're going to ask me to be in the play, but it's probably going to be a small one-line part, and I'm, I'm not coming all the way back to Australia for that. Have to be, it would have to be one of the two major roles, and I don't think I'm ever going to get one of those. But I got a call as I landed at Heathrow in London. <laughs> From Julie, she's saying, "You're not going to believe this, Ray. Seriously, Wayne's been on the phone. He wants you to play the part of George Pigden, which is the central character in the whole play. Four hundred lines in the script. He's moving bodies. He's kissing two women on stage. He's doing all this stuff. You know, he's like the central comedic character. They want you to play him." I, I fell off my chair. I can wow. believe it. Oh my god. And that's, my sister-in-law in, in England is a professional actress, so I called her straight away and I said. She said, let's go and get the script from the shop in, in London and let's look at it together. So we looked at the script and I said, do you think I could blag my way through this? She said, yeah, I think that's probably a way you could. And so the only thing that stood between me saying yes and going back was the fact I'd given my commitment to five clients who I promised I would work with while I was in Australia for a month. Well, I said, when I get back, I'll do this work with you. And I booked it in and I committed to doing it. And I, I've got a, my, one of my core values is integrity and I can't. I can't do something like not do something I promised. So I thought, wow, this is a major hurdle here because my heart and my energy was pulling me back to Australia, but my sense of integrity was saying I will do this and they weren't going to fit together. So I thought, what do I need? I thought, right, I need the blessing of those five. Mm. I need to mm. go to them and say, this is what's mm. happened. Mm. It's totally unbelievable. You won't believe it. But let me tell you the honest truth about the play. I told them about the play, the audition and the story. They knew about my divorce and my dad. And every single one of them said, Ray, if I was in your shoes, I would go. I'd give you my blessing. I'd go. You should go. And I went back and I did it and it was brilliant. I had a ball. I've never done anything like that in my life before or since. Don't want to be an actor, but it was I took the last curtain call every night from the audience to massive applause and I was in the newspapers and it was brilliant. And that was a turning point because when I flew home after three months of being that character, because I was sort of living in the character yeah. all the time, mm. 
And he had a really horrible voice like this. And I hated being in the voice, but that was the character, you know. So I was in his voice. I was in his clothes. I was in the way he walked. And I, I'd become that character consciously and engineered it and rehearsed it. And so as I was on the way home, I noticed all the dread feeling coming up in my body about having to return to who I was. <sighs> and I was thinking, that's Ray the business. And then as I was noticing the dread in my body, it suddenly dawned on me, literally on the airplane flying home, I went, oh, my God, Ray the businessman's a character. Yes. I've created it, but I've yes. created it unconsciously over yes. 30 years, and I haven't really thought about it, and I've sort of sunk into it. But that guy's a character that I'm playing. I don't need to be Ray the businessman. I don't, it's only a choice that I've got to make. Mm. And I, I never thought of it like that before. And it was only because I was an actor in a play becoming a character that it even dawned on me to even think like that. And yes. that's why I'm saying it's about changing your thinking, because that was the first massive dose of think changing that happened to me. Ray, Does that make I sense? Does that make so sense? So glad you told that story. I can't even yeah. I'm not sure I can put into words how much sense it makes to me, how beautiful it is to do you have an experience like that yourself where you've had a think change on scale like that? I have a, a few. I have a few. One that's coming to mind, you know, and and maybe I want to just underline two things that I'm that really came to me from your story. Yeah. One again to say like that, all of that whole incredible, I mean, I was, uh, you could see me, no one who's hearing this can see me, but maybe yeah. they can hear my voice. I'm like leaning as close to the computer as I can. Yeah. I've got tears in my eyes to like, imagine you on this, like, I'm just going to, Hey, can I come help you? Cause I know you're sick and Hey, yeah. I'm going to go visit my friend and Hey, I'll look at it. Why my attention is going to this empty box. What ah, they should pick me. I'm English. And uh, no. Oh, 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 like this just incredible, the, the simple choices you made that led to this incredible, profound possibility is just amazing. So I want to yeah. just celebrate you for sharing that because it was you. not something you planned for. Not at all. I had yeah, no this idea. Was, even this, the is, this is this just life. Yeah. This is the flow yeah. taking you. Yeah. You know, and so that just the, the beauty of even at the the places of our utmost loss, there's this possibility if we still have breath in our bodies and a heart beating, and yeah. who knows what happens after that stuff stops, but at least when we have that, life keeps carrying us. Yeah. There's you know, the simple, about that that feels really important. Yeah, and the ridiculous thing, Andy, you'll laugh when I say this, is that because someone would give me the advice, go and serve someone else and something will happen. So at the end of the three or four weeks when I left Sydney, I was going, no, it didn't work. Nothing's happened. I've just served them and nothing, you know, there's nothing happened. It did, that obviously was a bit of crappy advice. It hasn't worked. But I'll go and console myself up in Cairns with my friend in the nothing happeningness. Yes. Because yes. what that advice doesn't say is, and you might have to wait a while. before you might, fully, you know, It's not, and something yeah. will happen on day yeah. two once you've it's, made it. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's not on conclusion of the thing. Yeah. It's not always immediate. It's when it's ready. You know, it's something yeah. will happen. You know, and I didn't. They don't include that in the advice bit. I mean, there's almost just to say it even more simply. You know, this choice to serve is beautiful. Oh, that thank yeah. you, that friend, and I hope whoever's hearing this, who might be in a place of suffering or uncertainty like just the choice to serve as an empowering move and a way to get yourself out of the picture is beautiful you kind of decenter yeah. yourself in service of something greater yeah like beautiful but also yeah. you could just say your friend could have just said ray just wait 
something will happen. Yeah. You might have to wait a while, but something will happen. Yeah. And that like that trust that life will, something will happen. Even if you just sit in your apartment for six months in deep, the deepest realms of depression, a friend will call up and say, Ray, I want to come help you. Just like you mm-hmm. called your friend in Australia, something will happen. And yeah. and to the extent we can just crack open that willingness to let whatever happens happen yeah. is the moment when we're in the flow again and then new doors open up. Yeah. You yeah. know, and for me, yeah. one of those moments is a really simple. I, won't, I don't want to take up too much time because you have oh. so much story to share and I want to make sure we get a lot of it. But you know, I was I was a young when I was a middle schooler here in the States and adolescence, uh, you know, age 10, 11, 12, 13. I was heavy set. I was fat and I got made fun of for it. So much so that uh, that even saying the word fat, which, you know, for some people is just a description of a body. It's no it's just a body. Bodies are big and small and tall and short. We have all the bodies. But even saying that word, there's still parts of me that feel some shame around that because I was shamed for it. And, uh, and fortunately, uh, or I don't know, this is complex, but in our culture, if you're, if you have a taller, skinnier body that gets privileged. And, um, I saw that happen. I just started to grow Mm -hmm. and I went away to a summer camp from, from my high school. So freshman year of high school, I'm 13 years old. My nickname is gut by some real assholes who, you know, had, had their own, insecurities that they were projecting on me and I was a hurting kid and I would and I went away for a summer to camp and over that summer my body just changed and suddenly like girls started noticing me and I was like oh oh and part of the insight I had which I thought was such a gift for me at that age because I think it's very hard for adolescents to not get caught up in the drama was the realization that like Oh, those kids who are making fun of me, like, oh, great, I have the, I have a new body, so I can be in this body. But also, like, at this camp, no one knows me from a hole in the wall. I can be whoever I want to be. Mm. I can, I can be nerdy because I was a nerd, but I can mm. also be athletic because suddenly mm. I could, suddenly my body matched how fast I could run. Yeah. You know, I could do an improv class because, well, I want to do an improv class and it doesn't matter nice. if I've never done it before. And yeah. sort of these moments. So for me, that was that just was like a kickstart into yeah. a, 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 a what has become for me a lifelong recognition of the very wisdom you shared, which is we are all playing, we're all live action role playing our lives. You know, like we're all, yes. all the the Andy who is here right now is the podcast Andy. Yeah. But to the extent that I can bring more of myself into this podcast, then it's alive for me. To the yeah. extent that I'm like, oh, I must do podcast Andy and interview Ray and make sure I do this and that. It's a very sort of stale, sterile thing. And so, yeah, exactly. so we have the roles. We can play them or not. If we choose to play them, then f- fucking play them. Yeah. Have fun with them. Lean into them. See them as an expression of self. That yeah. for me is like so important um, as a and way I think of it being. Goes be- I think that's brilliant. And I think it goes beyond that because I, I, it was Tony Robbins in one of his books who said, we're not just the actor in the play either. We are the scriptwriter and the director. So we've got the option to move into one of those positions and mm. change the script mm. and even change the scene and even kill off the series. <laughs> like, you know, who wants to be 
David Schwimmer who plays Ross in Friends. Who wants to be Ross, you know, for their whole <laughs> life? You know, you don't. Yeah, and and the and the like gift in the breakdown is that the Fullman Man series was killed off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just fully. Yeah, gone. So you know, you could have, in theory, done that yourself, but life just said here, like it's over. Yeah, I never saw it that way because yeah. one of the things that in my coaching work, which I think is essential, is that. I know that no one really changes anything until they have their own new insight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you say as a coach. That's right. It's only when they have their own new insight that anything happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't have a new insight until I did the play. <laughs> even, even if I'd met you in London and you'd said to me, Ray, this is what you're going to need to think in order for you to shift things. I'd have gone, yeah, okay, maybe. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that like, so so let's just let that land there is the power in recognizing that most of us have arrived through unconscious accrual of experience and social pressure and and cultural burdens and ancestral mm-hmm. you know experience all of it is like being poured into us in a very formative stage and we grow up for whatever reason into whoever we become if we're if we're privileged enough to grow up safely and we grow up into a character a primary yeah, in, character that we play without knowing that we're playing it. And yeah, and in my language, in my reference in the book, we've roped ourselves to one of four corners of a tent. You know, we've, we're tied to our career, we're tied to our partner, we're tied to our home, our actual house, and we're tied to our community of friends and family. Mm-hmm. And our character is based on the four corners of this. Mm-hmm. And all four of those corners can, just to be clear, like you're not saying that those can't be deeply meaningful things to anchor to. Yeah. When you've taken 100% ownership and consciously authored those according to how you totally wish it to be, and they are exactly that, then it's great. Yeah. 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 Or, or maybe also, and this is the like the Buddhist insight you presence, part of that authoring can also be, oh, this is my life. Oh, and this is the character I'm playing. Oh, I choose that. I actually choose it exactly as it is, but it's a choice now. So I haven't rescripted anything other than maybe if someone were reading the script that goes, the character realizes how much he values the life he has. Yeah. I mean, that was wonderful what you just said. It reminded me because about that, that I was in the play in 2005 and then I went off on my journey and then I ended up in 20... 16, 11 years later, I moved to Warsaw in Poland because of a love. You know, I moved for love. And when I was in Warsaw in Poland, a friend of mine who I'd met at a coffee meetup the summer before when I was visiting there said, what are you doing on Monday? Uh, I said, nothing. He said, because he, this guy was a professional actor. He said, I'm going to an audition at the studio. And I thought you might just want to come along just for a laugh. And I went, okay. I just went to watch him, see what goes on at an audition. just for a TV commercial. When I got there, I, somebody heard me speaking and they said, are you, are you English? Are you a native English speaker? I said, yeah. They said, we want someone to drive a, lo- a black London taxi in this commercial. Would you be interested? <laughs> I said, what do I need to do? They said, well, you need to have an audition. So they got a room. They got four chairs and took a clock down from the wheel all to use as a steering wheel and put a guy in the back. And I had to tend to be driving, turning around, saying, so where can I take you? And have you had a good day? You know, like a taxi driver would. <laughs> And at the end of the, my audition, they, they said, give us a minute. They went off into another room. I could see them. Came out and said, 
we'd like to hire you for the TV commercial. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I and I and so I I did that, and I I said, what do I need to do? They said, well, first of all, you need an agent because we have to contract with you and pay you through an agent. That's how it works in Poland. So I so my friend said, you can use my agent; they'll, they'll take you on. And then, of course, my agent said, can I put you up for other things? And so I got cast in two films, you'll laugh, to play the part of a CEO with a businessman. No way. Yeah. Come and on. I, and, I, and, I, and I did them. And I was laughing so much because I thought, I'm now actually playing the role of a businessman. And when, can, when the filming's uh, over, I can just walk away. You you just walk, uh, I get to be Fullman, man, but yeah. I get to have fun doing it. Yeah. And then and I, I, was, I had. Down. A two chance, two times I did that, and it was such a laugh because oh, I was playing right. a really tough, angry businessman. You know, <laughs> it's so good. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Mm. Yeah, so it's nicer to play when you're fully playing it. Yeah, it's brilliant, absolutely mm. brilliant. Fully playing it, yeah, like mm. any role you can choose to fully play, and inside right. of that, there's possibility for meaning, for fulfillment, for yeah. impact, for service, for creativity. Yeah. yeah. Mm. exactly okay so now maybe this is a moment to circle back to annie and yeah. thailand and this sort of like i'm back from this three month i realize on the plane that i don't have to go back to who, what i'm expecting i'm leaving behind the character of the play and as i leave that behind i realize oh i can play another character and maybe to yeah. find out who that is i have to take some time so tell, tell yeah. us a bit more about this this what started as a sixth month sabbatical yeah so annie had said you know come with me and i thought well i'll do that you know i'm going to travel for six months i can do it with someone i like and get on well with and we had a good relationship and then you know she can carry on doing her own thing and i can return or you know we can see how it goes of course after six months of living in that life and sort of feeling into it and and after six months i went in to do a 10-day vipassana buddhist retreat Mm -hmm. because I reached, I got to the six month mark, but I hadn't, my mental state was terrible. I had not calmed down at all. I was frightened. I was worried. I couldn't let go of my past. I was feeling guilt and shame about screwing up my marriage and everything like that. Um, And it was showing in my relationship with Annie and was repeating some of the same patterns. And Mm. so I was just, even though I was in paradise, I was mentally agitated. And when I asked people how I could resolve that, one or two said, I think, the best thing you could do right now is to do a vipassana retreat and i said what the hell's a vipassana vipassana <laughs> what's vipassana you know i didn't even know what it was they said well you go into a monastery with buddhist monks for 10 days and you sit in silence and meditate and they teach you about buddhist teaching i said i've never even been quiet for 10 minutes over 10 days <laughs> it sounded when people described their experiences of it i thought oh that sounds so heavenly i want that. so i went in i went and did that and i said to annie she was wanting to do it too. I said, well, we could do this together, but I don't want to contaminate the purity of the experience. I want to have it fully. So if we go into the monastery to do this at the same one, same time, we've got to act like we just completely don't know each other. If that's oh, wow. okay with you, because I don't want to be smiling at you or talking with you. It's a silent thing. You know, it's, I want to be fully in the, in my own space. Is that okay with you? Because if, if it's not, I'll do a, a set. You can do it separately and I'll do the next one or something. Mm. Mm. she said no that, that's fine and so we had this agreement and it worked really well and we did not in any way interfere with each other's process mm. Mm. and uh, I, wrote, I wrote all this stuff in the book so it's all part of the story and uh, 
and so I did that and honestly after 10 days of doing that which was physically quite tough because I'd never done any yoga so I found sitting cross-legged very physically uncomfortable um, after 10 days my energy had just changed I was in a completely different vibration I was calm it's like someone had turned my noise volume down from a 10 out of 10 to a, like a 2 out of 10 <laughs> and I was still having that little bit of thinking but nothing like on the scale that it was before I started mm. because I'd had the, all this opportunity and time to watch the trickiness of my own mind and saw that I just saw how how much how much authority I gave my mind inappropriately mm. Mm-hmm. That's what I saw, and how little use it really was <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. It's useful for certain things, but not for the most part. And so I saw that. I saw the black and whiteness of that. I kind of came face to face with it and saw it. And I thought, I don't need to be so driven by what I'm thinking half the time. Mm-hmm. Mostly mm-hmm. they're pessimistic thoughts that are just going nowhere that I hang on to. So, um, so that really just changed it, changed it up a lot. And uh, I thought, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning so much from this journey. I'm not ready to go back home yet. I'm going to stay a bit longer. So we decided to go to Chiang Mai in Thailand, Annie and I. And when we got there, we said, how can we find a way of sticking around here? Because it's a lovely place. We loved it. So we signed up to get our Teach English as a foreign language qualification at the university. And I'd never been to university ever. So I, for me, it was like another thing that I could do to complete in my life and we studied and when we passed our exams etc we became part of a community there where we were meditating every week in the sangha and mm. so meditation and mindfulness practice became a part of our life mm. and it still is for me even today and so that changed things up and then because i was meditating and mindful and more aware and more compassionate then the things i was doing as a traveler were having a greater impact on my heart so i went to an elephant sanctuary in thailand where they were rescuing elephants in distress mm. I went to an orphanage in Nepal where we ran a picnic for the kids and I saw how much joy it brought. So then my heart was opening and I was seeing there were things I wanted to support and address and help. And I came up with this idea of starting a fundraising effort of some kind and wasn't sure what to do. And then the story flowed. I thought, oh, I'll stop it there. But something then revealed itself and I went on to do that thing and started a foundation. And so the, the journey just kept expanding and expanding and expanding. So far so that by about the time I was five or six years into it, I'd, have, I'd lost any notion of ever going back to the old life I was in. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. It sounds like the, sounds like two things I'm hearing. One, there is some part of you that, that seemed to be receptive to the wisdom of people around you. Yeah. Hey, you should go serve Okay, I'll go to Australia, help my friend. Hey, you, yeah, it sounds like you really need a Vipassana retreat, a Vipassana what? But all right, I'll go do it. There's some, there's some, something about that that I just, I'm not sure what to make of it, but I want to point it out because it feels really important that, that around us are people who hold keys and it might not be a key that fits the lock we need to go through, but might be. And it sounds like that's been true for you at least a, at least a few times on this journey. That right? Yeah, that was important, that teaching, because it's in that teaching, which I think one of the most, the most fundamental basic pieces of knowledge, which we all need to have, all of us, comes from, which is the cycle of craving. That's a Buddhist teaching, you know, like as human beings, 
we are we're we're longing yearning craving things you know uh, and and that gives rise to desires and wants you know to be fulfilled and so we find we're looking for things jobs relationships possessions that we think is going to fill that gap that we're yearning for we get those things and there is a temporary cessation for a little while but then the yearning returns because those are not permanent it's just pleasure short term and then the cycle begins again and i never understood this cycle and i never fully understood that i was actually causing my own suffering by being mm. trapped in that cycle mm. It, mm. it never no one had ever taught me that or showed me that or made me see that that was why it was so powerful for me mm. Mm. yeah i wonder what's your what's your point of view what you just said about no one had ever taught me that there's a voice in me that goes like yeah why aren't we teaching everyone this yeah and there's another voice in, in me that answers because actually it's quite disruptive Mm. to the reason we don't teach that is because it could really change our society actually yeah i mean it's a sinister reason i think we yeah, don't teach some, it because yeah governments rely on compliant obedient people you know to keep things in order that's how you control masses is through a social order and conditioned thinking is the means of control in modern society mind control yeah uh, yeah and there's that, a there's a version of that I, I, like a, we're, we're entering into territory that's really important to me. And yeah. also that I, I tend to, I try to tread consciously because there's a version of that aha. Oh, the reason the character I'm playing, like there's my tent in its four corners, but yeah. actually my tent is in a camp and that camp has been built to be a certain way. Yeah. It's got nice uniform rows and your tent fits exactly between two others. And if yours yeah. goes all over the place, it's going to ruin it for everyone. And yeah. plus, you're paying rent to the park keeper. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so you can have that realization, and it can feel quite sinister. Like, actually, there is a locus, a cabal, a, a sort of single actor or hyper agent who's, like, pulling all of our strings. Well, there actually is. It's, 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 well, it's well documented. I mean, it's not even theory any longer. It's very well documented. There are think tanks non-government associations and organizations unelected democratically who have massive financial influence and influence over the education system yes and so they, yes. they have their hands of control on it and then they know that and they openly admit it they don't even deny it yes yeah. and and yeah. they are trapped in the same story yeah. that they can control the flow of the river and yeah, and that their happiness depends on them doing that. And that, that. their happiness <laughs> depends on them doing that. Yeah, which it does. So I think it's it just does. really important to notice, like it's easy for us when we have that realization to go, yeah. oh, the evil's out there and I can see it now. Yes. And and you're not wrong in a sense, but you're also missing that like, it. no, what is out there is a extreme collective example of that cycle of craving and cessation that we, that has been essentially yeah. institutionalized yeah in the Fantastic. form of our current social structures to yeah. feed that to keep feeding that because it because it never is fulfilled it needs to be keep we need to keep feeding it and keep feeding it and keep feeding it I so, agree. so one of the possibilities even if a single one of us can't go in and enlighten and, and say, okay, we got to re, you know, if we're going to change our society, we all have to do it. But one of the, the movements to make 
that I think is really important that I sense that you have uh, your story as an example of this making is to go, Oh, like I can, I can choose my tent and that can be fulfilling, but I can also walk out of it and say, I'm not going to participate in all the ways that we're asking each other to participate. I'm actually going to be an actor in this system that mixes things up a bit that invites people and that maybe you do that in an activist way or a provocateur way, but also like a service way. I'm going to start a foundation. I'm going to help people. I'm going to help people begin through just how I show up that they have more choice than our, than our social systems allow seem to allow us to have. Mm. I wonder mm. how that lands with you. Yeah, I saw very much how I see it. I mean, this is a, a, a huge conversation. We could talk for literally yeah. hours on this, you know, because I'm fascinated by this area and I listen to a lot of people on YouTube and other podcasts talking about this because I think that's where we're at at the moment. I think this is playing out at the extremes now. There's been so much wealth extraction in our society. Now, the, the gap and the divide is, is, is just uh, huge you know it's it's broken it's really broken it's, yeah. it's toppling out it's it's cracking it's falling apart everyone can see it everyone knows it on some level they may not understand it why or rationalize it but everyone knows it's all yeah. falling apart yeah. and so this is playing out at the extremes and we are going to see cracks and new systems new ideas new visions for small local societies and communities growing and then getting joining up and getting bigger I and mean, this is happening all over the place so um you know and, and and the people in control don't want to lose the privilege of having the wealth extraction so they're trying to stick it all together with plaster you know and keep it going yeah. <laughs> <So>. yes yes <laughs> but this like at the macro scale one way we might make sense of what's happening is is exactly what happened to you at the micro scale yeah like, exactly yeah. right like at some point the the plaster will will crack and it won't hold together anymore and yeah. that will feel like the end of the world collectively and sadly because of how the system is built lots of people will suffer quite a lot unfortunately. oh yeah oh, it's happening already yeah, it's happening right now it's not like we're it's not like, yeah exactly we're yeah. not that right, is I, right I, now yeah. lots of people are suffering because of this system yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah. so for me i i thought well i think the best way i can just live my own life is to be in service as much as possible to people that need that and want that and uh and do what i know to be true for me at the values level you know with others and let all that stuff that's like in, i'm in my kayak steering down the rapids and the rocks that i'm passing other people i'm helping and serving and you know stuff like this in my low vicinity but i'm not concerned with the guys standing at the top of the waterfall with all their dams and trickery and equipment I'm just letting them do whatever they do. Mm, mm, They're just going to do mm. that anyway. I'm not going to try and get up there and stop all that. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point, no matter how hard we try, the dam, the big dam will break, will burst, yeah. it will topple. It, and if it's you happening. instead it's are already uh, happening. Yeah. If instead yeah. we're if we're instead if we're all just a bunch of individuals in our own kayaks, yeah. That water will be very very hard to navigate. But if instead there's, you know, metaphorically a hundred of us with our rafts tied together <laughs> yeah right like that that becomes a different way of of riding this flow and yeah and i just feel really in touch right now as you share your personal story around yeah i'm there are parts of me that are scared of of what might come 
And there are parts of me really excited about how we could just get, Hey, Fullman, man, he's in the water. Like, yeah. Yeah. Help him out. Like, but let him know it's the CEO title just got, became meaningless. We need people who can just take care of each other. So if you want to be on the boat, like come be on the boat with us and let's build it together. And let's, let's, let's do this. You know, there's something really empowering about realizing that so much of, of the tents that have been staked out could be moved. Could we could pick up stakes and move them somewhere else and rebuild it in a different way. Exactly. But then there's another phenomena, which I know that you'll have, I imagine you'll have tapped into a lot. And I want to kind of go into talk a bit about it, which is there's a certain, when you, what I've noticed for myself in my own journey is that the more and more I stepped into what I call alignment, started to live each minute of each day in alignment with what I value, what's important, what I care about, what I honestly makes my heart grow. The more and more I did that, the more and more kind of quotes, miracles were happening. Yeah. Like, I just mysteriously bump into the right person on the right day, or I'd be shown to an event that I really needed to be at or something. This was happening not just once in a while, but almost every day. Yeah. And I was thinking, wow, this system's got a magic, a power to it that I can't, I can't understand it, but as long as I just trust it, it's going to work. Yeah. And so I thought, do I go whole hog? and place my whole trust in that system and abandon the old system? Or do I try to keep one foot in both camps or do I just go back to the old way of looking at it? And I decided for a while I'd go whole hog. So, and, so and what was that like? What was that moment when you made that decision or what, what has that, that been like for you? Yeah. So like, so for example, at, at the point where I sort of was sort of feeling my heart opening and seeing these things I cared about, and I was just walking around each day doing the same things, but in the back of my head going, I was almost like talking to God almost. Well, I'm not a religious person at all, so it's not really the right way. But I was, in my head I was going, show me a way I could help these people. Show me, give, mm. Just come mm. up with one inspiring idea mm. for me that I can't think of myself mm. Mm. that I could do. Mm. And I just sat with that, and I just let that ruminate in the back of my brain and, and while I was drinking tea and brushing my teeth and doing the usual things everyone does. And then one night I went out for dinner with Annie. She said, I want you to come and meet a friend of mine who is a yoga teacher. And she's old. Her husband's coming. You know, Matt's his name. You, you could talk to him. So I did. And I, I asked Matt, what's your life then? You know, tell me about it. And he was just describing it. And I said, what do you do? You know, what's your passion? He said, oh, I love running. I said, what do you He said, I've run six marathons. I really love running. I said, tell me about that. What's that like to run a marathon? <laughs> Describe it. And as he was talking, I could feel my body kind of tingling and I was going oh wow this is impacting me wow that I said Matt do you think I could run a marathon (laughs) he looked at me because I was was 49 years old and he was 10 years younger than me and uh he said have you run before I said no I'm not even 100 meters (laughs) he looked at me he said well you don't you know look quite fit I think he said I'll tell you what he said I know why you're asking because I told him about this idea I was trying to search for to run the foundation from he said, if you stay here for six months, I'll train you to run a marathon and I'll make sure you get ready for it properly. And I said, okay, it's a deal. So I did that. <laughs> so then that it, that just came out of nowhere. And I would never have thought of running marathons. I've never yes. met him. Yeah. And so he showed me how to run a marathon. And whilst I was in my training phase, which was six months long with him, 
I also did my fundraising work at the same time. So I was, I that was the first time I dusted off the cobwebs of all my business database and and sort of got the phone out and started phoning around the world saying, I'm raising money. I need your support. Can you give money? Can you give money to all my business contacts? Wow. And what were you raising money for again? Well, at the first go, I I started a foundation called the Calling All Angels Foundation. And it it was, it had three beneficiaries, the Elephant Sanctuary in Thailand, I mentioned, the orphanage in Nepal, and a cancer charity because a good friend of mine had died from cancer in the Mm. the months previously. Mm. And so I managed to Train myself for, for the New York Marathon. I got a place in the New York Marathon. This oh, was the wow. other thing. Yeah, that's come a back, big let deal. me come back to that. So, yeah. so I said to Matt, right, um, it's a deal. I'd really like you to train me. And it was a gift from him. He had no obligation to help me or do that for me. But he decided to get behind my purpose, if you like. And uh, I raised $15,000 in cash for, for these three things. And Matt said, what marathon are you going to do then? I said, oh, well, I, and I said, it's ridiculous, Matt. I probably won't get a place, but I was in New York a couple of years ago with my friend and we watched the end of the marathon in Central Park because there was an English runner called Paula Radcliffe who was famous at the time and she won it. I said, and I said to my friend in 2007, I said, God, if I ever ran a marathon, it'd have to be this one. It'd have to be New York, the best one in the world. And uh, I said, I told this man, I said, why don't you apply in the ballot? You know, you might have a chance. So I did. I got a place first time. (laughs) Oh, my God. <laughs> and so I knew, I saw, I call in the book, I refer to this a lot, I call it a confirmation signal. Yes. Yeah. And that was a powerful confirmation signal that I was definitely living in alignment because I found Matt, I raised this money, I got a place in the New York Marathon, my first attempt, it took me three attempts to get in the London Marathon, my home city. Mm. Mm. But I, on that one, I got in first time. Yes. Out of half a million people. How, and you can't figure that stuff out. So. Yeah. Uh, so I ran the New York Marathon, did it, and then I went back to Nepal with the money and actually was there for several months, putting a school roof on a school and getting computers and a motorbike for the warden. And, you know, I did all this myself. I never had any experience of doing it. I just made it all up. Mm. Mm. And, uh, and I just lived this adventure as a fundraiser for two years, you know, two or three years. And it was brilliant. Yeah. I've written yeah, the, you're, all of this up in the book. So You're speaking to... Uh, a way of being in life that really is exciting for me. You, you, you yeah. can use words like alignment or intention or purpose or, you know, yeah. orientation. Michael but, Singer calls it living in surrender, you know, uh, in, yeah. in the untethered soul. Yeah. They're just books. like, I'm just going to say yes to whatever shows up. Yeah. Like and, Jim Carrey did in Yes Man or whatever it's called. Yeah. Know, yeah. That movie. <laughs> Yeah. And, but there is also a subtle, maybe implicitly like every yes is a no to something else. Yeah. Right. Like you can't train for a marathon and I don't know, pick a million other things that you could also would need a lot of time and energy. Yeah. You know, there's only so much one body can do in the time that we have, however much or little that is. Yeah. And so these, what you call confirmation signals, you know, synergies, coincidence, whatever it is, we could, tell a big complicated uh religious or philosophical or spiritual story about what that is and that that's beautiful and useful but just as a pure way of experiencing life you go if i pay attention if i try and pay 10% more attention to what holds me that mm. empty box in the program uh while i'm listening to a play mm. my 
my my sort of mantra prayer for some idea and then Matt arrives and I, he's telling me about a marathon and I'm feeling energy around that. If I just pay attention to those energetic signals, that is worth listening to. And then if I do follow through first time in the New York marathon, oh, there's a confirmation signal. There's There's more evidence that if we go back to our metaphor of the river, that the sort of my craft is more seaworthy. It's more, it's more able to navigate and ride and bounce and flip and move because I'm finding I'm in the flow more. I'm in that, I'm in the current as opposed to fighting it. Yeah. Yeah. You're flowing with the current. And, and when you flow with the current, it's much more, it's a feeling of effortlessness because the current's doing the work. But when you're, sort of swimming across the current you're having to really really move your arms and legs effortfully and you'll get you get tired it's exhausting yeah, yeah it is exhausting yeah. so That's there's fine. this quality of just i i just i say yes i surrender to use michael singles yeah. i say yes to the current yeah but it doesn't mean you suddenly disappear you're still this you still have this attentionality to that, yeah. like that the current of life allows you to go oh look yes to this audition sure i'll go for a laugh yeah oh I'm the lead. Pl- okay. Yes. To this, my friend, Matt, now I running the New York marathon six months. Like, yeah. you know, this, that's the, I really love that. And I feel like that for me is a piece of wisdom. When you say, what can I report back to camp? I've gone out on this huge journey. What can I report back to camp? One thing is just, just pay attention to what excites you. Pay attention to where your heart opens and just listen yeah. to that. But the thing is, for most people I've discovered, they don't have the faculty yet to pay that level of attention mm, because they haven't mm. trained their own mind. Mm, mm. That's, that's important to acknowledge because in the societies we live in currently, it's not trained. We're trained the opposite. We're trained to be destructive, distracted and let our, minds run, <laughs> let, our, let our minds run a mark with us. We're, mm. Our mind is in control of us. I mean, most people... Are almost addicted to scrolling on their phones like hours every day, I and mean, they have mm. no control over it. Mm. So we're losing. So there's some. There are some like conditions under yeah. which a mind or a person can begin to access that kind of flow. But it's it's our society does not uh, not really train for that or no, it, that. it doesn't endorse it because it, on some level the people who hold positions of power know how powerful that people are when they do have harness of that. Yeah. And so they've invented technology that just keeps you mindlessly distracted all the time. Mm. And mm. think, you know, things like that really work against, they're robbing you of your attention and your yeah. power to direct it. It's more your power to direct it. Tristan Harris is a really outspoken author about this because he worked for Google, I think. He was one of the big tech guys who's, who saw the kind of evil of the work. That I think he was it was doing. Facebook. He was Yeah, at, Facebook actually. or one yeah. of those things. And so he's been yeah. very outspoken about how they're managing to engineer these systems that literally addict you to to these yeah. platforms. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to report back to camp today, you know, we're playing in this space of alignment of kind of um, leaving behind characters to be more fully who you are and play new characters. We're playing in the space of kind of possibility and letting things happen. And someone's hearing this and maybe they're going like, I don't even know where to start. And yeah. you're, like, you're right. My mind is really freaking noisy. And like, I feel 
stressed out. What's what's the invitation for someone standing right in the center of camp, right inside the tent with their four corners staked down really solidly, but nevertheless has the flap open and they're kind of listening to you? What do, what do you want them to hear? Well, I can answer that easily by mirroring my own journey. I, I think if you've got a mobile phone, as most of us have, you know, you've got apps on the phone that do certain functions when you need them to be done. But you also have to charge the battery of your phone, otherwise none of the apps are accessible or they don't work. And so I think the first step is to charge your mindfulness batteries, let's Mm. say, to use a metaphor. And that would be having a meditative practice of some kind. Now, I know loads of people who do different things. Some people walk, some people swim, some people sit, some people play music, some people paint. But some kind of practice where you're doing it purely for the love of itself, love the love of the joy of the mm. moment of doing mm. the practice. There's nothing mm. to be gained from it. There's no prizes, no money, no medals to be won. It's just just purely the joy of that thing that brings you to it. And that is a practice that I think if you don't have in your life, you're going to really suffer from mm. in terms of mm. loss of attention and distraction mm. because mm. You'll, you'll find ways to deal with your anxiety and stress that are unhealthy. And that will be through excessive work or excessive alcohol consumption or other things that actually also are detrimental. But when you have a meditative practice, it gives you this increased capacity to start noticing things that that are not serving you. Mm -hmm. You can't even start to notice them if you don't have a practice like that. Yeah. So I would say that's one of the best ways of starting. One of the distinctions in there that's, that's really landing with me that feels important to me that make sure that people who hear this, hear this distinction is that most of the, if not all of the things that are currently available to us as a way to distract ourselves from, from any part of our life that's scary or hard are things that have a downstream positive impact for someone else, right? Like me scrolling through Facebook and clicking on ads and the way it's been sort of weaponized to be addictive to do that doesn't benefit me it feels it can feel like and it's almost like a super fast version of that that craving cycle that you described like oh what's the thing oh there it is up oh, cessation what's the next thing up oh, there it is cessation so we like get that gets we get trapped in that and it has a kind of palliative effect that that does but it diminishes over like we just we go from scrolling for 15 minutes to an hour to two hours to four hours and it just like that's that addictive cycle and it just worsens and worsens us but someone benefits from that Right. Like there's a reason it's made that way. There's a downstream person who's going like, great, we need more people who are like that. And it's like, oh, my God, what? No, we don't. But what you're describing is a thing where like the there's no there's all sorts of possible downstream benefits, but you're just showing up for yourself. Yeah. You're not like there's no other party who has a, a smaller, big investment in you doing a thing a certain way. It's just literally like. Yeah, my body wants to move. Mm. I'm going to go move my body. Mm. Yeah, like I, I don't breathe very deeply and it feels good when I do. I'm going to just go breathe more deeply. Mm. And that sort of gift to, to start simply by giving yourself a gift of something that is yours for the, for the joy or the benefit or the pleasure, mm. the simple, that feels like a really great invitation to start with that, that almost any of us could, could do if we were willing to. Yeah, yeah, and it's free, and it doesn't cost any money, and you can just go for a walk outside your house in the nearest nature. 
and and just the stillness and the peace and the sounds and just you start to notice that you can notice sounds and you start to notice you can smell aroma and you can start to notice feel your skin yeah. you start to notice things you don't notice ordinarily in the, any given day you yeah. just start noticing that you notice things yeah Beautiful. you forget that you know mm. and that that like that is a source whatever else we have we don't have agency over this our ability to connect to what we think and feel and sense without just being kind of like whipsawed by it like to notice yeah. that we have a mind that our mind doesn't have us but that we have a mind yes that is a, a really empowering place to stand even if everything else is is falling down around you yeah i i, I like that I, I i was asked by my editors who were fantastic you know they were brutally uh you know ruthless <laughs> in chopping out my very long manuscript <laughs> but they advised me and uh, invited me to write at the end of my story my six rules for happiness you know, as I saw it, and they're my six rules for my happiness. They're not six rules that are going to be generally for everyone. Although I do think there's a lot of things in what I've said that would be applicable to most people. But one of them, one of the six rules was become your own observer. Mm. And this is what we're talking mm. about. It's like, you're mm. not just the person who is having the thought. You can also be the person who is noticing you're having the thought. That's a different nice. part of you. You're the consciousness you're the awareness. You are the conscious awareness who is noticing, oh, Ray is having a thought right now, which is what a lovely interview this is, you know, a lovely conversation. And I'm aware that I'm feeling so grateful and joyful to be in this conversation. I'm aware of that right now. And I'm, in, and I'm the person in the conversation. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. It feels like a wonderful blessing. May we all be more conscious observers of the, the life that we're living. Yeah. And maybe from there have some more opportunities to say yes to parts of life that we haven't noticed yet, or that might be calling us. Yeah. Great. Thank you for embodying that so beautifully Ray and for sharing your gift of storytelling and your, your passion for a life well lived and fully lived and your gift for metaphor. It's just been, I've been really touched and moved a lot today and, and I appreciate you for that. Right. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Brilliant. Mm, mm. For folks who might want to get the book or hear more other interviews or just learn more about your work, where where should they head to? Ah, uh, my friend Patrick, who has, has built me a beautiful website called lifewithoutatie.com. Nice. <laughs> so easy to remember. Nice. Life without I was so lucky because when I had this epiphany one day, I was I was out doing a meditative walk. I was about two years into the writing of the book. It took me six years, but on that walk, something came into my head, life without a tie, life without a tie. I said, what's that? Life, the book's called Life Without a Tie, right? <laughs> I went, oh, my God. Okay, so my book's called Life Without a Tie. I better go and register the domain. That was in 2013 <laughs> I registered nice, that domain. Nice. And um, no, no, it's not true. Yeah, maybe 2014, but it was around that time. And uh, the book got published in, nine, in 2022. So... <laughs> Thank God I had that little bit of meditative insight, you know. Yeah. And yet just another, I can't help myself, even though we're at time, like just yet another example of things happen when they yeah. happen. Yeah, they do. So lifewithoutatie.com, there's great stuff there about the book, a bit about me. And I just put up there for recently a free um, audio version of the introduction, which anyone can download. If oh, you brilliant. Hear, if you want to hear me reading the introduction. 
Now, do you read it in the Australian uh, English CEO voice that you did in the, or no, in your just, actual, just, just in, in your voice? Okay, good. Voice. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Um, but that's I think that will be pretty, more accessible yeah. than Because the... I know some people like the audios more than the reading. But, yeah. Uh, as an independent author, I, I, I'm scheduling to do the audio recording, but it's a huge It's a task. huge project. And yeah, so I won't, be, I won't be able to finish that until the end of this year. But uh, for now, there is a version of the introduction in audio. Lovely. Lovely. That'll be really sweet when it comes out. Well, thank you, Ray. Thank you for being here in the Wonder Dome, for sharing. This has been really fun and meaningful. And thanks to anyone who hears this. I hope it serves you in some way. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing and engineering services from Jim Serqua at Sump Pump Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.